timely topics, helpful insights. This is Teaching Grounds. Each episode will explore the inner workings of healthcare, life, and leadership to help you navigate the waters ahead. Do you ever wish life kind of came with an instruction book that it would give you some sense of if you do X, Y, Z, that you'll find your way in this world? Is there something we can do that can actually make a difference in the success we see in life? Well, that's something we're going to explore today on today's Teaching Grounds. I'm your host, Curtis Merritt, and if you haven't joined us uh, before today, we certainly want to welcome you. Um, Teaching Grounds is a forum. Uh, It's basically an ongoing conversation of life and medicine and things we see in healthcare. Uh, I'm a physician. I'm an internist. And uh, I know a lot of our audience out there is uh, nursing staff and um, just sort of all levels. We have docs and nurses and techs and all sorts of folks out there. If you haven't visited us yet, you can uh, drop us a note on teachinggrounds.com. We have a Facebook group. We have a Facebook page. Um, we're actually on Twitter, Teaching Grounds. Um, and just reach out to us. And the whole point of this is is to open up the dialogue and increase the sort of conversations we can have um, there tends to be a bit of a disconnect between um, the physician world and um, sort of the rest of healthcare, and that's sort of the the whole goal of teaching grounds is sort of bridging that gap and just having an open conversation about um, you know what do what do you from your side of things do to be successful? What do we from our side of things do to be successful? Um, opening up with that question today: Is there something out there that we can do? some habit we can engage in, some thing that we can carry out that will lead to some long-term success. Uh, I remember hearing a pastor one time talk about, you know, you can't neglect your family for an entire year and then make up for all those lost dinners, make up for all those lost baseball games and football games in a single day, you know, and say, we're going to hit every Shoney's, every Golden Corral and every... um, mom and pa diner along the way and we're just gonna we're gonna make it all up in a single day that life doesn't work that way so one of the things that we can do though is we can pick uh, certain habits that if we think about it and are honest with ourselves they will have some pretty lasting and pretty significant long-term effects and one of those habits today is discipline and discipline is not a super popular word. It is in the leadership uh, literature. If you read about you know, leadership, John Maxwell, those kind of guys, uh, they do talk about personal disciplines quite a lot. But discipline hasn't really permeated, at least not to my ears, um, the healthcare setting. And it really hasn't permeated sort of our culture, which is very driven by metrics and um, you know reviews and. Uh, scores, press gainy, there's H caps, there's all these scoring systems that basically um, sort of how do we gauge whether or not we're successful. And the problem is, at least this is me personally, I've never felt like those scores tell me anything. (laughs) Yes, if they're high, we're happy, but for the most part, they don't really help me measure success. But what I do know is that the habits that I choose to engage in, those things that seem to carry with some long-term effect, those are the things that um, seem to carry and bring weight to my life and 
and sort of uh, build into the um, sort of cache of, of things that I have going for me, I guess. So today's topic is discipline. And what kind of prompted this, uh, discipline's been on ongoing um, study and struggle. It's kind of a, a dichotomy uh, for me over the years. Um, when I was first coming up through uh, college, there was a book I picked up. Um, it was about Winston Churchill. I think it was Stephen Mansfield's uh, Never Give Up or Never Give In. I can't remember. But anyway, it was about Winston Churchill. And it was just kind of fascinating listening to the stories of Winston Churchill and the things he would engage in. Uh, he had a lisp. He had a uh, difficulty talking. And he would practice and he would engage in these disciplines to increase his speaking ability. And as you know from history, if you've ever you know, Googled Winston Churchill speeches, they are some of the most famous. You know, we'll fight them on the beaches. We'll fight them in the streets. Um, never surrender. You know, never give up. Uh, you know, these some pretty long-lasting. And at the time, the audience, the context, if you remember our discussion previously, the uh, um, relative attribution error, the, um, the power of context, the context for his discipline paying off was huge. And the problem is we never know when the context will change and allow us to um, sort of cash in on these disciplines. So it kind of you know, puts weight uh, on the scale to say that we should be trying to pick up some disciplines and some habits and some things in our life that can uh, hopefully pay off some big dividends down the road. So... Uh, fast forward, um, wow, what is that? 10 years or so. And I was listening to a podcast the other day. It's the Tim Ferriss show. Um, it's got some language. Sometimes you gotta kind of watch out for, but anyway, they're interviewing this guy, Jocko Willink and wrote this uh, really neat book called extreme ownership. Uh, we kind of had a little article on teaching grounds about it because, um, you know, ultimately in healthcare, we, we really do need to exhibit some, uh, fairly extreme ownership. Uh, the buck always stops with us. And sometimes that's a very hard thing to do in a very divided uh, type of culture, which is what we see in healthcare. Anyway, um, he asked Jocko, uh, who's a former Navy SEAL and a leadership guy and has business and everything. He asked him, you know, is there a single mantra? Is there a single motto that sort of governs your life? And one of the things he said is discipline equals freedom. And his point was that Without discipline, we're sort of subjugated to, um, you know, whatever is controlling. If it's food, if it's, you know, our Facebook flipping or whatever. But the point was that we could we could control uh, what we're disciplined in. And um, ultimately, that sort of, you know, gives us a freedom um, that we're not, you know, we're, we're picking early on what sort of things we want to have pay dividends down the road. Because the thing about it is, no matter what you engage in, whatever habit it is, whatever discipline it is, it will pay dividends down the road. Now, these can either be good dividends or bad dividends. These can be, you know, being overweight and bad health, high blood pressure, those sort of things. Or they can be health and fitness and, you know, just going from the, the eating and exercise uh, sort of lens there. So... Probably more than anything else you do, um, what you choose to engage in as your habit and your disciplines um, probably has more to do with your success in life. And I'll give you a good example. When I um, when I was getting ready to graduate um, from my residency and I was looking for a marching order, I've been watching for a number of years you know, through med school and residency trying to figure out how do I win at this game, how do I, I'm gonna be a hospitalist, okay, I'm gonna be a doctor. 
where's the win? Because if I can get a clear picture of where the win is, if I can figure out where um, I need to put my efforts, you know, I don't want this to be a waste. I want to be successful in this field. So I need a very clear win. And for me, I could not find it. You know, it's not be a healer um, because we're, you know, we kind of just relieve the uh, the obstruction, if you will. We just kind of give the medicine and the body takes care of the rest. Um, it's not, you know, be uh, the best doctor because that's kind of hard to put your finger on. How how do I know I'm the best doctor? Where where do I fall in the rankings? Is there a rankings and are those rankings worth anything? You know, could I one day be on a magazine or could I, um, you know, be on a rank list of you know different guys or, or whatever? Or, you know, could my patients and nurses and those sort of folks think well of me? Is that the win? And it, nothing just seemed to be the, the bullseye, if you will, or at least nothing. You know, those are all things I wanted, but they weren't necessarily things that I could act on. Like, yes, you can be nice and kind and courteous in your interactions and things with your with your staff, but it's kind of hard to end at the end, you know, go home at the end of the day and say, man, I won. And you can do all those things and still get reprimanded, still have things that show up. And, um, I've watched it time and time again, where docs can be really personable. They can be really, um, you know, fun to talk to and great to interact with and really sharp on their craft. And yet, you know, their paperwork's later there. Um, you know, timeliness and get into the rooms or their discipline throughout their day is sort of lackadaisical. It's usually a dichotomy, either real discipline in your work and sort of lacking in the personal you know, side of things or vice versa. And I said, well, I don't want to necessarily you know, fall into either one of the extremes. I just, I just want a nice, clear wind. And so I was thinking about it one morning. I drove up to work and I kind of had this sentence pop in my head and it was, be the most disciplined provider. I thought about it. I was like, no, that's not it either because I don't want to just be a provider. I don't just want to be sitting there pushing paper and all this other stuff. But what I realized over a period of time was being the most disciplined provider provided the win. What I mean by that is every interaction that we have with our patients, every interaction we have with staff, we get to choose how we interact. Uh, So if we want to be nice, we'd be nice. If we, you know, want to be mouthy or whatever, then, you know, that's our choice. But I could choose each individual interaction. I could choose how I acted, but it wouldn't necessarily translate down the road um, to my success. It may be to my reputation, but overall, my, my personal sense of well-being and success, it, it didn't really translate. It's hard to say, man, I interacted well on every case today. Because, you know, not everyone agrees with you. Sometimes you, you know, have to push your point or vice versa. And, um, you know, it's not always easy to feel like you won the day there. So one of the things I realized was that if I am the most disciplined provider, well, then that's measurable. That has a sort of a metric to it. I'm not a big fan of metrics just in general. I'm not a math person per se, but, um, metrics that you can act on, I am. And so when I'm the most disciplined provider, that means my paperwork, my follow-up sheets, my billing sheets, all, you know, all that stuff, my timeliness and getting things done, getting people discharged by 11 a.m., um, making sure I'm following protocols and core measures and all this other stuff. By being the most disciplined provider in those things, I was able to sort of translate that um, sort of subjective feeling of success, you know, sort of pick that up, if you will, um, able to translate that feeling and sort of absorb it, I guess. 
And it's a little bit weird because you have this sort of ethereal, fluffy stuff with, you know, interpersonal communications and interactions that you can't really put a number on. And then you have all this paperwork, which everyone tends to not care very much for, but that if you don't do it, if you neglect it, well then, yeah, down the road, you do have a tremendous amount of um, sort of consequence because of it. So it's a bit of a dichotomy. It's a bit of a, you know, yeah, it's it's not the most important thing, but it is a measurable thing and it is important. Um, and for me, being the most disciplined provider translated to all my areas where I, in general, am not the sharpest. You know, I'm not always, you know, great at um, having a pristine billing sheet or, you know, I'm not always great on signing my notes immediately. You know, it's sometimes it's just, it's just sort of my nature. The, the paperwork I don't view as important. And so it spoke directly to my um, deficit, if you will. Well, you know, this is coming out of residency. And that deficit was the one thing that ultimately sort of measures a doctor. Um, it's hard. You know, we can be very nice. But if we're late, if we don't do things on time, if we forget prescriptions, if you know, that all translates to being a not so great doctor. Well, that actually kind of is the point of this whole topic. And that is that we get to choose which de- which disciplines we want to engage in. And discipline's a lens. Discipline helps us understand. It's sort of a, a telescope lens, if you will. We talk a lot about lenses here on Teaching Grounds. And discipline is, is, a, is the long-term telescope lens. You think of it another way is the habits we choose. So the things that we choose to engage in on a routine basis are the ones that are going to look down the road and see what we might be able to benefit from. So uh, this all kind of came, sort of morphed, I guess, into an idea. I was reading a book called The Power of Habit. It's by this guy, I think it's Charles uh, Duhigg or uh, Doug, I can't remember, sort of D-U-H-I-G-G, I think is his name. And it was talking about um, uh, the habit cycle and going from a cue to a routine to a reward. And this all kind of came, I guess, in the advertising world where they were talking about Pepsodent. Pepsodent used to be this old toothpaste that... Um, you know, it wasn't really selling anything special. There's a lot of mint toothpaste out there at the time, but what they were able to do was couple a cue, which is that grimy feeling and their commercials would kind of emphasize this, you know, remember that feeling on your teeth that you have right now, you should go brush your teeth and then you'll have that nice clean. And if you remember the commercials, you're not clean until your Pepsodent clean. I think's how it went. So what was nice about, um, that book is it kind of clues you in to how, um, how we develop a habit. So the cue, the routine, and the reward, this all kind of circles back to our disciplines because by cueing or uh, picking up on cues, like for me, when I walk into the office, I always look to the right and the right is the drop box and the right, you know, the drop box means your face sheet, your CQIs and a bunch of other sheets that we have to turn in. Um, well, that is an area where I, I need to stay disciplined on. And so by picking the cues, you know, when I walk into the office, I look to the right, you then can determine the routine and the routine will lead to the reward and the reward, you know, in this case is the subjective feeling of, of being successful, at least at that point in the day. Um, so one of the things to remember here is that the cue is not always able to be changed, but the routine that follows the cue can be changed. 
So a good example, when I hit the elevator button, almost inevitably my right hand goes to my left breast pocket where my phone sits because I've got a little lag time. I follow up on messages or phone calls that I may have missed or something. Um, and it just is a routine. It's just a habit. Well, so is, you know, every time you get done, um, you know, taking your kids to school and there's McDonald's there. Well, yeah, there's your cue. I'm done with my kids and now I have a routine. I go to McDonald's. Well, guys, obviously sort of an extreme example, but you can see how down the road that will pay dividends, probably some that are not terribly desirable. So the thing to pick up on is the cues we're not always able to change, but the routines we can. And so when we're thinking about our disciplines and the things that we would like to do, let's say get up early at 5 a.m., well, the cue for that may be your alarm clock. And you may find that it doesn't really breed success very much. Um, but sometimes there are cues that can step in front of other cues and sort of you know, take their place or get you know, interrupt them. So the cue may become... I'm done with dinner, the dishes are done, and you know what, once the dishes are done, that's my cue to go to bed, because I want to get up in the morning. So it sort of activates these routines, which can then lead to the rewards uh, downstream. So disciplines are not always easy to start, uh, but once they become habit, what's nice is this falls into a bit of muscle memory. And so it's not as much you know, active thinking as, you know, some decisions are. Like if you're you know, in a bakery and you're staring at a bunch of cookies, you kind of have to actively decide not to dive in there. Um, but a lot of the routines, the things we do, the drive to work, the way we drink our coffee. I mean, if you've ever gotten to work and your coffee's gone, you know, you, you engage in muscle memory activities all the time. Why? Because our brain is a finite resource. It wants to focus on the main thinking things that we need. So it's going to defer to muscle memory, and that's really the power of disciplines and habits, is that once they're established, once that loop of cues, routines, and rewards are established, we can then sort of allow them to fall into the muscle memory. And usually, at least in my experience, it takes about two weeks. But after two weeks, it's not an active thinking process anymore. Now, things can come and interrupt it, like you know, if there's chips and queso sitting on my cabinet at home, well, yeah, after dinner, I'm going to probably plow into those. Why? Because my brain likes salt. <laughs> and so having the, um, having the ability to see where potential cues may sort of click in and other routines may interrupt, uh, can sometimes be helpful when we're trying to establish the habits. And again, this all gets down to the looking in the long-term lens, looking in the discipline lens, which will have more effect on our success than anything else. What do we want to see down the road? So we've already looked at a couple of examples here uh, with health, uh, the disciplines that sort of equate to our long-term health. Uh, We looked at kind of Winston Churchill and his, uh, he would even practice, it's kind of funny, he would practice with marbles in his mouth because he had a pretty strong lisp and he would work to articulate his tongue and his lips to try and um, sort of nullify that lisp that he had. And, you know, over time he became a pretty potent public speaker and again, in the context, which we can't always control, uh, his disciplines and his choices paid off uh, big time. And it was also nice, he had others. You know, he studied history pretty extensively. And so while Neville, Neville Chamberlain sort of rolled over whenever Hitler uh, came 
you know, pouncing through and they said, you know, don't go into Poland. And Hitler said, I'm going to Poland. And they redrew the line and said, okay, don't go farther than that. And, um, you know, here comes Winston Churchill, who's been studying history and realizes, you know, tyrants don't go away. And as a result, when he stepped into power as the prime minister, well, it was a much different ball game. Neville Chamberlain just rolled over. Winston Churchill went to war. And so we can see that we're not always able to predict when context will change and our habits will uh, sort of reap their, their dividends. But as we've kind of shown that we are able to adjust them. We are able to change them over time. And we just have to focus, maybe not always on the cues, but on the routines that follow our cues and the rewards we're able to sort of reap down the road. Another good example is uh, Elon Musk. Uh, unfortunately, his SpaceX uh, satellite, I think it's carrying a Facebook satellite, his rocket, uh, one of the Falcon 9s, I believe it was, uh, just blew up. And so he's, I imagine Elon's not having a great, great time right now, but no one has heard, at least what I heard uh, most recently. But the point was, that began, you know, his SpaceX, Tesla, Solar City. I think I heard the other day from a friend that one of his friends was considering buying a Tesla. And, like, the idea of buying a solar car did not exist 20 years ago. Well, where did that come from? Well, if you go into Elon's biography, um, discipline in computers is really where that started. So he had this sort of fixation on computers and took them apart and you know, tried all sorts of different software and whatnot. And as a result, he was able to put together um, one of the first sort of mapping and um, electronic phone books, if you will. And as a result, he sort of became a millionaire and they used that capital down the road. Um, but also when he went to Russia, uh, as a neat story in his biography, went to Russia and um, met with the Russians and they said, and you know, these rockets, because Elon really wanted to go to space because he sort of has this, at least according to his biography, he sort of has this fundamental thing that the, we're going to destroy the earth and we need to populate, uh, you know, out there, go to other planets and explore and things like that. And he sort of has a f fascination with it. And I'm sure he'd love to go to Mars one day too. But, um, when he was on his plane back from Russia, trying to purchase a rocket over there, the, he, he and his colleagues, I guess, were uh, you know discussing. Oh well, you know, I guess we can't have it because you know, the Russians said no. I can't. I can't remember the exact story, but um, Elon turned around and had gone through, and for I guess months before, he'd been studying the cost components for rockets and determined that they could build it for half the cost. Well, that became SpaceX, one of the, you know one of the first private, and I think there's Blue Blue Origin or Blue Horizon. I, I think is the um, the other company now with the Amazon founder uh, Bezos. Um, but the point was by engaging in these daily disciplines, um, you know, Elon was able to translate that down the road to um, you know quite a bit of success. And ultimately, that's kind of what we all want. We want our daily disciplines, our efforts to translate to success uh, down the road. And what's nice, again, I think we talked about this this last podcast. What's nice is that we get to pick which disciplines we engage in. So for me, at least, this translates into two main ones. Number one, it's a very early morning. Most of the time I get up around 5 a.m. Really depends on what the night was like before and whether or not I'm getting off shift. But for the most part, I feel like my ideal time, the one I shoot for and sort of aim for, is the 5 a.m. Uh, where I get my coffee, I sit down at my computer, um, and I sort of try to engage in the second habit, which is um, always have something cooking for you. 
so I had this uh, guy growing up. His name was Mr. Stevens. And Mr. Stevens was a really kind guy and uh, elderly, um, you know, sort of country guy. And Mr. Stevens um, had this rule that always have something cooking for you. And what that meant for him was he always had a field of corn. He always had some pigs who were growing. He always had a cow or something, uh, you know, a car he was working on. But he always had something cooking on the back burner ready for that sort of rainy day. Again, when context changes, all of a sudden, you know, that may be something very worthwhile. Um, if the local price of pork, I guess, went, went pretty high, all of a sudden he's got pigs and can fill, fill that need. And so for me, uh, what that translates as is I try to always have someone else's words uh, cooking in the background of my mind. So most recently, I, as actually where I picked up on the podcast, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin have this book, um, Extreme Ownership. And that is uh, one of the most recent ones that I have cooking on my, um, on my Audible. So when I drive to work, I have about 17-minute drive, drive back. So in theory, like Zig Ziglar once said, you've got a classroom. So I've got, what, you know, 30, 36-minute, I guess, uh, no, 34-minute classroom every day. So every day I have the opportunity to basically have a class. Well, if you go seven days in a row, um, all of a sudden you have a significant amount of class hours for which you can learn something. And again, I picked that up from Mr. Stevens. He was able to always have something in the background brewing for him. Now, obviously, I don't have pigs, Although it may be a lot cooler if I did, or maybe some chickens or something, but at least I can have my, my background knowledge of different authors. Um, my bookcase, which I look at as I make these recordings, is a fairly eclectic bunch of you know, everyone from Richard Branson, Jim Collins, um, you know, Warren Buffett, um, you know, Benjamin Graham, all these different authors that present tremendously different perspectives. And so... By engaging in this daily discipline, well, when something comes down the road, which whether that's something as simple as a conversation with someone else or, you know, my own personal finance, um, you know, there's dividends down the road that when context changes, when situations change, and they always do, you have the opportunity to sort of capitalize on them. Uh, if you ever read Jim Collins, um, I think it's built to last, if you will, um, or maybe it's good, uh, great by choice. I can't remember. Sometimes they all get kind of mixed up, but, uh, one of those books, I think it's great by choice. His point there was that the great companies choose to be great because they prepare ahead of time for situational change. So they prepare, you know, whether it's cash reserves or, you know, keeping their uh, model pretty simple. Southwest is a good, Southwest Airlines, good example. They, um, you utilize pretty much the same plane. So the same mechanics, same routine, same protocols, same pilots. And as a result, they have a lot of redundancy in the system. They also, you know, don't utilize uh, assigned seating. And so it's just sort of first come first serve, um, as far as your seat fill up and everything. And so by doing those things, they have the opportunity to sort of capitalize when situations change. And, uh, according to Jim Collins' research, when 9-11 happened, Southwest was the only one that could really get up and um, keep going. And if I remember right, was the only airline in America to turn a profit after September 11th. Uh, I don't know the context if that was the first year or the first quarter or whatever, but the point was they had the ability, their disciplines and a few things translated down the road um, to sort of capitalizing 
on the situational change. So sort of going at the big, broad, macro view of all things um, as we kind of close out here, you get to pick those things, those activities that you want to engage in, the ones that will you know, lead to dividends down the road. And your disciplines can be anything. It can be reading to your kids. It can be learning to cook for yourself. It can be um, a pretty robust reading regimen. It could be um, just about anything. But the point is, if you'll give some time and thought and effort and energy to it and sort of choose the ones that will have the most gains and then work on your cues, your routines, and your rewards uh, and try to develop a system that will allow you to engage in those disciplines, well, more often than not, when the context does change, and it always does, when it does change, whether good luck or bad luck, um, you'll be able to capitalize on that. And that was one of the points Jim Collins made was uh, in his book, it doesn't matter necessarily whether it is good luck or bad luck, whether it is good contextual change or bad contextual change. The point is, if you prepare for it, if you have some reserves, if you have some uh, things in the background uh, sort of cooking for you, if you will, then a lot of times those sort of people and those sort of companies and those sort of programs and organizations are able to weather change better than otherwise, than the people that are taken by surprise. So, um, again, that's a, a lens, sort of the long-term telescopic lens that I use, at least when I, you know, and do my own personal development, development and things, is to try to get as much input into my direction from as many different authors and try to do so as early in the day as I can because obviously that's going to translate down the road to understanding more and having a better knowledge base and a bigger box of lenses. And that is a big reason how Teaching Grounds got started was I would hear all these different lenses or all these different pieces from different authors and whatnot. Well, the thing was they all fit into the same box. They were all useful for uh, learning and growing and viewing and changing your perspective on things. And so a lot of them, uh, whether it's from an old country farmer like Mr. Stevens or if it's from Jim Collins, a Stanford professor, they all have the ability to shape and mold uh, how you see the world. So that about rounds us up for this episode of Teaching Grounds. Um, if you have questions or uh, would like to uh, throw something out there maybe for us to tackle. Uh, hit us up on teachinggrounds.com. You can go to our Facebook page. Just type in Teaching Grounds. It will pop up. Uh, we have a Facebook group. Uh, you're more than welcome to join. Love to hear from you. Uh, you can also go to teachinggrounds.com. There's a, um, a email link. I uh, think it says, I have a question. And throw something out there. And we always try to make it a public question. And I filter most most of these so that you know it's always clean and stuff. But um, you know we want to put it out there so that uh, you know, everyone can learn from, everyone can pick up on the lenses that are available uh, as we sort of go forward. So we'd love to hear from you. I appreciate you joining us. And again, uh, if there's something you'd like us to tackle, we'll be more than happy to in the future. So that'll wrap us up for Teaching Grounds. I'm Curtis Merritt, and we will talk with you later. Mm-hmm.